of 55 years. Uh, we have four sons and three daughter-in-laws and six granddaughters and we're expecting our first great-grandchild and also a daughter, a girl. So um, I was born in 45. 45, yeah, okay, so, okay. But I grew up down in the boot heel. And, um, so the reason I want to talk about the way this Glenville and Wilhelmina, they were kind of like sister or maybe squabbling sisters uh, settlements, they, uh, the St. Louis Archdiocese bought that something like 14,000 acres, and it was sold as to the people as this wonderful place to you know get out of the city and build a home and all this sort of thing. Well, actually, it was nothing. It was a dismal swamp, and there were the priest that was sent there. He he was a very you know I think the people have canonized him, but I mean he was a great guy and he did he did a lot of work and they just jumped in and they started. And there was a, a certain man, Mr. Kenny. I've never heard of him before or after, but there's just one reference where he was an ad man, and he was good at his job, and he sold this place to people as such a wonderful place. And so people moved there. Well, you know, they stayed, and they built homes and had families, and that's how. But now my parents came from Kentucky in 1925. And this is one of the stories I really would like to add. My parents, Ed and Lucille Larkin, moved from Kentucky to Wilhelmina, which is Wilhelmina and Glenville were the two towns, in December of 25. Mama had just turned 24, and Daddy was 27, and they had two little girls. And this is Mama's story in her own words, because I thought it was so delightful the way she told it. Ed had been to Wilhelmina and found a place to live and had made friends with Lawrence Feaser. Mr. Feaser brought Ed back home to Kentucky, and we packed our things in his little truck for the move to Missouri. Truck cabs were real tiny then, and just Mr. Feaser, our two babies, ages one and almost three, and I would fit. Ed stood on the running board and hung on as long as he could before his hands got so cold he couldn't hold on any longer. Then Mr. Feaser would stop the truck, and Ed would crawl into the cab just long enough to warm up a bit, then would start up again. It was a long trip. We had to stop at a service station to get a flat fixed, and the babies and I went in the station to keep warm. There was a cot there, and the girls wanted to lay down on it so bad, but it was infested with bed bugs. It made me shudder. I sat on a straight chair by the stove and held the babies on my lap. So that was one that really gets me. Um, and life was bad. I don't know why they left Kentucky. I never did hear. I think it was that, you know, every man wants to own a piece of land. And I think that he read these articles, you know, this wonderful place, and that's why they went. And once they got there, they didn't have any money to leave again. They were kind of stuck. <laughs> and they rented, you know. And But the, the flooding, you may have heard of the flooding in, on the St. Francis River. Lots and lots of flooding. It was just awful. And they would lose their crops and their gardens just about every year. I mean, it was, and they almost starved. It was just, it was bad. And here's another one of Mama's stories. Ed went to Kansas to work in the wheat harvest one year, but before he left, he spent just about the last of our cash on hog feed. We had one hog left, over, left and I was supposed to fatten it out to sell so we'd have a little cash. Just about the only thing we had to eat was white dry beans, and oh, the smell of them cooking made me so sick since I was pregnant again. One morning, I caught Loretta and Mary eating the hog feed out of the sack. 
I got kind of upset at first, but I watched them real close, and after a couple of days, they hadn't had any ill effects. I decided that if the hog feed didn't hurt them if they ate it raw, it sure wouldn't hurt them if it was cooked. So I beat some of it into a powder and used it to make biscuits. <laughs> kind of gives uh, an indication of what my parents were like. And she also said that, she said, we really didn't know much about the Depression until years later. We lived so far back in the woods, no phone, no radio, no newspaper, and certainly no money invested. We were already so poor, we couldn't get any poorer, but... Uh, they they did have some tough times. They really did. And I don't know how many stories you want of theirs, but I find them fascinating. She said, uh, one time we were butchering, and Ed cut his finger. We probably doctored it up with Watkins salve. I don't know if you've heard of Watkins salve. Mm-hmm. It was that cure-all. But instead of healing, his finger got infection, infected, and he got blood poisoning. One night he was in such pain that he crawled out of a good warm bed and walked to Campbell, which was about uh, 10, 12 miles, to the doc's office. When, when he got there, the doc was just opening his office, and Dan, Doc lanced the finger, and it finally healed, but it was always crooked after that. I always remember he played the guitar, and he had this crooked finger. But they, they did. They almost starved. They, they were really, it was destitute. And, they, of course, they didn't have any welfare or anything like that and probably wouldn't have taken it if it had been offered. Mm-hmm. But um, later then, they moved to a, a, another farm, and still they were just renting. But they moved to this other uh, rented place, and they had fruit trees and, and all kinds of good land. The land was good, and they could grow good crops. And it was higher up, so their flooding didn't affect them quite as bad as it had when they were lower. You know? What year was that? That was in about 30, 32, So they stuck 1930. it out for five to seven years. Yes, they did. Uh, and they were tough. My mom and dad were tough people. And uh, But... Uh, they uh, didn't have a, any of the con- modern conveniences, and they had a small well that would go dry in the summer. With, after all this flooding in the winter, oh. they'd have all this, you know. And uh, so mother would hitch a, a mule to a sled and take their laundry down to the, to the river to wash it. And she'd fill the kettle with water and then build a fire. And the little kids, would, my sister was talking, and she said, well, we ought to play around and, uh, while she washed the clothes. And she had tied the mule to a tree, and he was usually content. But one day he tried to get loose, and he struggled, and he struggled, and he broke his neck and died. Loretta said things weren't very happy around their house for a little while after that. And she said that's when Daddy drove a pump and built a pump house. So, now, were they near the any particular town? Were they near the town at that point? Or they, were they were, they were like oh, I said, maybe oh. 10 or 12 miles from Campbell, which was another, just a small town, but a little okay. bit larger than Glenville and Wilhelmina. Oh, okay, so they were, but they were outside of the They were well. way out in the way out in the boonies and, and they were on the St. Francis River right there on the river and did they go into town very often did 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 he work or did, did they work they just they farmed just, they just farmed okay. at that point I don't think they went very often at all now by the time I was a child they'd used to go on Saturday but I don't think they went very often back then I mean they had you know a team and wagon to get to town but it was it was quite a Different life. I can't imagine it, even though I've heard these stories. What about schooling for the kids? Did they? Okay, they had their own school there. Both Glenville and Wilhelmina both had schools. Okay. And at first they had lay teachers, and then they got nuns from uh, Kentucky to teach. And they taught in their schools for several years, and then in 1953, the state of Missouri said that uh, nuns could not teach in public schools anymore. So they had the decision, do we lose our school or do we go into a private school? Because it was a public school early. And they decided that they would keep the nuns because they did give us a good education. It was our one little smidge of 
culture. Um, and so it became a private school. And then what happened to the, there, were there any public schools? Yeah, in Campbell. Okay. In Campbell. And that's where we went to high school. Okay. But, um, but then, they, and then the school is still there. Glenville, Wilhelmina slowly but surely faded away. Okay. Uh, Glenville survived, and Wilhelmina is just a, actually it's, uh, the Missouri Conservation Department bought it, and it's a wildlife refuge now. Oh, wow. so, were there many people? I'm trying to get a sense of this as a community and, and how your parents were situated was sort of in that. Like, did they, were they literally off on their own and they would only see people that once a week when they went in? Or were, was it like a village where there were people? It was there? a village. It was, okay. it, there were several families. And they, of course, they, the church was the center of their life. They, they, it was always church and it was their, not only their spiritual center, but their social center and everything. You know, they had, you know, they had, uh, box suppers and what all kinds of things you know to get together and uh, so though they had they had good friends um, so uh, mama was a midwife and oh. she she had had she was only about 30 at this when she started she had had five children of her own by that time but she had never delivered a baby but her best friend said you know I wish I want you to deliver my baby when the time comes and mom said well Virgie I don't know anything about that and she said oh you know you can do it so sure enough, you know, babies seem to be want to born be born in the middle of the night, and uh, Virgie's husband came over to get her, and Mama said she was so nervous she couldn't even get her shoe on, <laughs> and so she went over. She told Daddy she didn't know, and she told Daddy she said, "Well, I'll be home in time." Her baby was like about five months old, the youngest one of the kids, and she said, uh, "I'll be home in time for his early morning feeding." Well, it took a lot longer than Mother knew about, <laughs> and. Uh, the baby woke up and he wanted his 2 a.m. feeding. And Daddy patted him and he rocked him and he walked the floor with him and he did everything that he could think of. Even made the little, uh, you know, the milk and, and uh, sugar, you know, on a rag and, you know, tried mm-hmm. to feed. Well, Larry just, uh, he was not satisfied. So Daddy bound, you know, wrapped him up real good and walked about a half a mile through the woods and took him in so he could nurse and then she got back home. He had to get back home, though, because there were four other kids and the oldest was seven. So, you know, I mean, I just can't... You know, nowadays, you, you'd you be arrested for child abuse if you did that, yeah. but that's the way they had to yeah. do it back then, you know. But uh, it was tough. It was fun. But, I mean, they, they got to it. Mother always had... Uh, even when their house was flooded, uh, you know, they had to live upstairs because the bottom was water flowing through and they were little kids were worried that this easter bunny wouldn't come but he did there was a there was a barrel or a bucket or something that was hanging off the side of the house and that's where he put the easter eggs so mother you know those kids never were were disappointed but you said she was so she was a midwife is that something she did often like she did very often and she did that up until i can remember her up in the 50s i guess she was still you know and when i had my last baby I asked her, my sister and I were both going to have a baby like in the 80 or 82, something like that. And we said, uh, would you deliver our babies? And she said, no. She said, I'd love to, but she said, I'm too old now. She said, I'm not, I don't move as quickly. And she said, I'm just not up to it. But I thought that would have been so cool. Were there, were there other midwives in that? There were. In the village? So she was one of a few. There were, there were probably, I think I could name three or four others, maybe. Were there any uh, doctors of any kind, or did they also do a lot of the doctoring? The, there was one doctor in Camel, you know, in the town, okay. uh, and he was called often, but a lot of times they didn't even bother with the doctor. Uh, and I know the doctor mother said that he would ask her, 
you know, when are you going to get paid? Because he always got paid. She never got a penny. <laughs> and they, uh, the doctor said, well, when are you going to get paid? And she said, I guess when I get to heaven, I'll oh. get my pay. My mother was a little saint, you know. But uh, she, and of course, she had a little sense of humor. She said she delivered this one baby, and the doctor finally got there. And she already had the baby cleaned up, you know. And uh, she met him at the door, and she said, There's, you're not going to be delivering the babies today. And he was, oh, I came all the way out here for nothing. And she, then about that time, the baby la- uh, cried. And mother started laughing, and the doctor knew he had just been a butt of her joke. But, yeah, she she delivered probably, she said she knows she could count 12 that she delivered by herself, and at least that many more with a doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was quite the thing. You know, I don't think anybody ever actually went to a doctor to have their baby. Right. The doctor would come out to the house. Right. Well, thinking also about, like, for example, her getting paid or the doctor getting paid, was there much bartering in the community? Did they, Was there trading going on? I or, think there know, was. Uh, I don't like Mother said. Sometimes she would get some apples when the apples got ripe or, or something. Maybe a butcher time she'd get a, a roast or something like that. And so maybe that would be their bartering. Uh-huh. Okay. And the people stuck together. Right. Neighbors were neighbors. They really were. Were all of her deliveries successful? I think so. That's wonderful. I Because know. I myself have had a lot of children, and I would not want to deliver another person's child. Yeah. As you said, times are quite different. Yeah, yes. I guess it was necessity. It was. It was necessity. And, and that's the thing. They just did things because they had no choice, and it made them stronger. Okay. <laughs> Some men from Campbell, which was, like I said, eight, ten miles away, they were businessmen, and they came out every summer to hunt and fish on the banks of the St. Francis River, and it was right behind Mom and Daddy's house. Well, one Thursday night, a storm came up, and the guys thought, well, you know, it's about over. Rather than staying and, you know, enduring the storm, we'll just go on back home. So they gathered up all their food, and they took it up to Mom and Dad and said, we're leaving. Okay, well, this is a problem, because... Catholics didn't eat meat on Friday back then, and there was barbecue chicken. Well, they didn't have a refrigerator or a freezer. They left the meat till Saturday. It would spoil. It was a sin to spoil, let food go to waste. It was a sin to eat meat on Friday. What were they going to do? <laughs> so they woke up the kids, and they all had a barbecue supper about right before the clock struck midnight. <laughs> that was just kind of a little bit of their ingenuity. Yeah, some of their ingenuity, yeah. But... Uh, and then my oldest sister there, again, Loretta, she was uh, quite a bit old, 21 years older than I. She said she was about seven, and she was helping Daddy get some stove wood in, you know, to the, to the, up to the lot. And because uh, they used a lot, of, they had cook stove and heating stove. And she said, uh, all of a sudden, Daddy jumped up, and he ran, and he, he started running and cussing like crazy, and running to the house. You know, she didn't pay a lot. She was only seven. She didn't pay a lot of attention. You know, she's putting around. But when he didn't come back, you know, she said, well, maybe I better go check and see what, what was this all about. So she went up to the house, and a rattlesnake had bitten Daddy's hand. And he had gone to the doctor's. The doctor, he went to the neighbor's to get a ride to the doctor. The doctor wasn't home. Oh. So Daddy came back home, and he stuck, this is, I don't know, voodoo, I don't know. But anyway, he stuck his hand in a bucket of kerosene, one hand in a bucket of kerosene, the other, daddy wasn't a drinker, but the other hand holding a bottle of whiskey. And he sat like that for three days. And that kerosene drew that venom out. And mother felt so sorry for him and so helpless to help him. You know, she couldn't do anything, but she was also mad at him for getting drunk. <laughs> so that was a good thing. Anyway. But, uh, Anyway, they uh, they just they survived, and then this this was in Wilhelmina, and then in November of thirty seven, 
they moved over to Glennonville, which was the other town. And that's when they finally were able to buy some land. It was not good land, but they bought it. At least Daddy owned his own land. Then my little my brother was uh, about seven at the time, and he said, "My life ended when we moved over there." <laughs> he still, and he was an old man when he told me that. He said, "You know that was such a, a wonderful place." And he said that when they moved over to Glenville, he said his life ended. But, but in nineteen forty one, they got electricity finally, and it was um, it cost five dollars to subscribe to, you know, to electricity. And a lot of the people said, I'm not going to spend that kind of money. That's too much, you know. And and this Father Peters, this priest, he said, oh, and he said, well, can you take it for three months? Because he knew that if they had it for three months, there's no way they were going to go back. Mm-hmm. And he got his full uh, his full subscription. And it was, he had to have two and a half customers per mile of line. And that's when they first got electricity. I barely, barely remember getting electricity. And you had one bulb in each room. That was it. Pulled on a string. So you had a light bulb in every room. What else was it used for? Well, they got. We got a stove. About two or three years later, we got an electric stove. Oh, that was great! Electric stove and a refrigerator. Yeah. So that was good. Now I learned to sew on a treadle sewing machine, though. I don't know when Mother got um, an electric sewing machine. You would have radios, so where would oh, you plug yes. that? We had the radio. Well, I don't know what they did about radio before they got the electricity. I really, I, like I said, that was before my time. But I do remember listening to the radio when I was a little real child, real tiny. We would listen to uh, Dragnet. Um, oh, and what was that? Jar, uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen. Um, I always remember that she'd said that at the end of the show, they'd say she never could watch the show or listen to the show because they always said to tune in next week at this time. And it was always at the end of the show. That was her little joke. Kind of corny, yes. Uh, we watched, uh, we listened to Dragnet, um, Bobby Knows Best. Mm-hmm. But, but then in 1958, our house burned. And Mom and Dad were nudging 60 by that time. And um, so they had to start all over. But there again, these people, we were not related to anyone, but the, the, the community came together. They gave us everything. The one couple had a, a almost new house that they weren't using at the time. And they had us just move in. And we got to stay there for two weeks. And then this other couple gave us... Um, or loaned us, um, travel trailer, a little dinky travel trailer. And there were three kids and my mom and dad in this little travel trailer. But at least we had something to live on. Yeah. You know, they said, no questions asked, you know, use it as long as you want to. That was the kind of people they were. Mm-hmm. And my brothers uh, slept out in the corn crib. Mm-hmm. And mama felt so bad, the poor kids. Did it. Well, they were teenagers. They loved it because as soon as, you know, they'd slip out at night and party all night. My mom and dad didn't know about it. <laughs> So, but they had to rebuild, you know, in their nudging, about 58 and 60, something like that. Was that a community effort, the rebuilding? uh, There was a little bit of help, but there was one man who was a carpenter, and Daddy used to say, between Bernard and me, we make about a half a carpenter. (laughs) Mm. But they got it together. So, uh, What sorts of things did you do as far as, you know, playtime? What did you guys do? Did you Jump rope. Jump rope rope a lot. Play any over. You know what that is? Everybody What's knows that. that. Um, we Red th- Rover? No, you throw the ball over the house, and there's some on each side of the house, and you throw the ball over, and they have to catch it. And if they catch it, then they get to run around the house and catch you. What's it called? There's I've heard Auntie over, Annie over. There, but we always call it Annie. How would you know if they Annie? caught it? You're on the other you side just, of the house. You, you just have to watch, and if you see them coming, you have to run real fast. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we had snacks. 
we when we got home from school, we would get a leftover biscuit or piece of cornbread. That was our snack. And in the spring, we could get radish or onion out of the garden. And uh, in the spring, we would go crawdadding. Anybody know what crawdadding is? Yeah. Yeah. Mama would give us some lard and a skillet, and we would crayfish or crawfish. Uh-huh. Yeah. We they were crawdads, and we'd go crawdadding out in the in the ditch, and we'd ooh, you know, they're a little bit like shrimp. Shrimp. Yeah. And I don't care for shrimp now, but I like the crawdads back then. But my mother was a saint. She really was. She put up with us. And I don't think I ever heard my mother raise her voice. Thirteen. Seriously. There were ten of us at home at one time. And then my sister got married in 49. She got married. So, And then uh, right after that, then a brother joined the service. So uh, we dwindled down. But yeah. Daddy made up for it. But Daddy did a lot of it. He was very vocal. He was a hot-headed Irishman. But they, they went through a lot. They went through did they ever go back? Excuse me? Did they ever go back to Kentucky? We went back to, to Kentucky almost every year the Sunday after Easter. And Mother always called it home. She always said, up home. We'd go, we'd go up home. Hmm. And uh, earlier years ago, Loretta, the oldest sister, said that Daddy played music with uh, another little band there. But they would never, Ma- Mama would never let him play um, my old Kentucky home because it made Mama cry. Well, I was just thinking about this this morning. Um, Mother was always teaching us our lessons, you know, and our religion. And and one time when this was way before my time again, but um, she was telling, you know, the among my brothers that Jesus says for us to love everybody. And of course, you know how little kids are. Do you love Daddy? Yes, I love Daddy. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love, and he went all through this other kid, you know, yeah, and fine, you know. Well, Daddy's best friend and play music, a guy that played music with, was Albert Porter. So my brother said, do you love Albert Porter? And mother said, yes, I love Albert Porter. Jesus said for us to love everybody. Well, it backfired on her. He went around telling people Mama loved Albert Porter. <laughs> and my mother, like I said, she was a saint. That was probably, probably galled her, but anyway, she had to tell about it. it was, I had a good life. I really yeah. have. Um, did they ever make their own instruments? You know, like I, banjos. I don't know. I don't. But I do have an instrument that my grandfather over in Kentucky started to make and never did get finished. I have that in my living room, and then I also have the fiddle that my daddy learned on when he was about ten, and my daddy would be hundred and twenty, and so it's and it was used then, so it's it's truly qualifies as an antique. Mm. What is the instrument? The fiddle. From the fiddle. Both of them are fiddles. My dad, my grandfather tried to make a fiddle, and I don't know if he gave up or whatever, but it's just a, a beginning, you know. But my uh, cousin, when my uncle gave it to me, my cousin just laughed at me like, what do you want that piece of junk for? But I said, you know, I, I like stuff like that. And now I can start remembering, in 49, uh, my one of my older sisters got married, and she bought us an icebox. And that was, oh, we were uptown then, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, we uh, we had an icebox, but it was my job to always, I was just four, and it was my job to empty, I don't know if you know, but there's always a drain pan underneath, mm-hmm. and I was supposed to always, I'd forget it, and it would run all over, it was back on the porch, thank goodness, because otherwise I'd have been in trouble, but it always, you know, ran over, but that was my job. The best part about that was the Iceman coming. <laughs> oh, he would come, you know, and he had these big old blocks of ice, and he had these metal tongs, you know, to drag it off his uh, truck with, you know, it was in a bed of sawdust. And it, when these tongs hit the ice, a big chunk of ice, it would make these little ice babies. And, of course, we had never had ice before, and, oh, my goodness, we'd get a chunk of ice, you know. He'd always save me because I was the most pitiful looking probably. 
and the youngest, and she and, and we'd have these chunks of ice to lick on until they melted, you know, dribble down our, our dirty arms. <laughs> it was wonderful. That was great. We would, we would get up in that oak tree and watch, and we would wait because we knew what day he was coming, and we would wait, you know, if we were in the cotton patch. Well, I have a question. If the refrigerator was, or the icebox was electric. No, no, oh, the icebox okay. was not electric. No, okay. that's where you just put those big chunks of ice in there. And your sister bought you. She bought us that ice. No, she bought no, yeah, but she bought us the icebox to oh, keep okay. the food clo- uh, the food cool for her wedding. Oh. See, and that's why mother and daddy couldn't afford an icebox even, much less a refrigerator. Oh, okay. And to keep her to keep the uh, the food cool as much as possible, she'd put it in a container and then put it in a water trough with a cold water, you know, keep it okay. and. For I guess me the the younger ones, she would send an older person out to the to the cow to milk enough milk for the baby's bottle. And then that's how you know. I I don't know. I can't imagine living like that. But they did. And I know that mother didn't lie, and my sister didn't lie. They told me these stories, so I loved them. But uh, Christmas was always special, you know. Midnight mass. Oh, I always thought I was going to stay awake, but I was pretty good sized before I did. But um, the Sears wish book, of course. Yeah. Everybody remembers the Sears Wish Book. Even if you don't weren't old enough, you've heard stories about it. And uh, one evening, I remember my mother came rushing in. She said, "Oh, the brownies have been here. The brownies have been here. You know what a brownie is? They were like uh, uh, Santa's elves. They oh. were the brownies, and they would sneak around about a month before Christmas and check and see what we if we were being a good kid. And if we were fighting over the Sears Wish Book, you know, they would tell Santa. My brothers always want to watch. You know, look at the cars or the guns or whatever and I wanted to look those dumb old dolls as they called them but anyway she said the brownies are brownies have been here so we all ran outside sure enough from the path to the kitchen window and then to the dining room window there was these little these little foot marks well we were believers my gosh so you know how she did it she did it with her fist she made little in the snow yeah but we thought it was real we didn't think mother lied we just knew that what she said was true so it was right and of course, you've heard about taking baths. You know, you pump enough water in the in the big old uh, galvanized tub that you wash clothes in, and you know we all took turns. And I was lucky. The small ones went first. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And of course, we had rusty water. You know, oh, that old rusty water. And at first, it was still pretty clear. By the time about the fourth or fifth kid, that water was getting kind of, yeah. Besides being grody, it was also rusty. So anyway, but. Uh, Anyway, in the same way with laundry, you know, the laundry was a, it wasn't just picking out brand X detergent. It was a, you know, it was hot. So. You made your, the soap. Lye soap. Mm-hmm. Lye soap, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you use that for washing yourselves and your... And dishes too, probably. I imagine soap was for everything. Like, you know, we, now it was funny how we go and we buy this soap oh, for this and that yeah. soap for that. And yeah. did you just have one kind of you soap or did you... Soap, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of strong and, yeah, you know. And, of course, we didn't have hand lotions and all that sort of thing. And washing your hair, halo shampoo. Oh. Okay. That was basically it. You'd get, a, you'd get water and you'd get one pan for washing and one pan for rinsing and you, you, you know. But we had a lot of fun, too. We, uh, my brothers played the guitar and the uh, fiddle and we all sang and had a good time, you know. And the, uh, my brother's friends came over and we played. You know, we're not, we weren't good like these country music stars talk about. They all said, you know, holy, all that. we weren't that way. We were like, it, it, 
at this point, how close were your nearest neighbors? Were you still kind of off, or were you still sort of um, in the... By this time, I, when I could start remembering, we were about a half a mile from each direction. Did you have community gatherings of any kind? Oh, yes, yeah. lots of them. We had, uh, we had socials, what we call socials, every two weeks. And then at night, and we would have dancing, and I think they might have had bingo. I'm not sure, uh, but we got to flirt with the boys. Well, yeah. Was on Friday or Saturday? You know, I don't remember. I know they were on Saturday. We were never. We were supposed to be at home, being good, getting ready for Sunday morning mass. You yeah. know, so we didn't go. I don't really. I think they were in the middle of the week. Oh, really? I, yeah. And they had a uh, when I was real small. They had a, a hall where I don't know what kind of screen, I think they just used a sheet or something, but they had movies. Like, I remember seeing Donald O'Connor and uh, Francis the Talking Mule and uh, the Pepper Family and Ma and Pa Kittle. And if we had a dime, we could go up. Now, those were on Sunday night. I remember that. We could, it was about two miles to church and the school and to the hall, and we could mm-hmm. walk up there and watch that. And so the movies were in, like, a hall, you say? In or? a hall. Okay. Yeah, they had built a hall. Okay. And that was a gathering. That's where we had our, so- we had our socials. And, and then we had the... The holiest of holies, the Glenville picnic. That was the, you know, that was our, uh, the highlight of our year. We kids talked about it and, and did chores to get a nickel every day, you know, for weeks in advance. And it was so much work for the for the adults, but it was great. They had started in, let's see, they started the town in 05, and I think in 08, 1908 was their first Glenville picnic. And it started out just as a, you know, uh, it's the last Saturday in July, the crops are laid by, you know, there's a little lull, and it was sort of a Thanksgiving-type thing for good crops. And uh, But then as it went on, now it's, and they're still doing it now, 110 years later, every uh, last Saturday of July. I don't think they did it for a couple of years during the Second World War, but other than that, it's been every year, and now it's a, a fundraiser for their school. Was this a parish picnic? A parish picnic. What was the name of the parish? Glenville. St. Teresa's Glenville. Okay, St. Uh-huh. Teresa's. And uh, like I said, it was the highlight of the kids. I mean, we loved it because we got out a whole day out of working in the cotton field. <laughs> uh, and when we were young, we ran around like you know wild Indians and had a good time, went to the fishing pond and all that. But when we got, as soon as we graduated from the eighth grade, then the girls got to be waitresses at the meal. The, dim, the meal was wonderful meal. And, or they told me that was. I never get, we couldn't afford to eat it. But anyway, they had a great meal. Oh. Um, <clears throat> But we would we would flirt with everybody and we'd talk about the dance that night and it was just we got a new dress and it was it was it was the highlight and I've often wondered if the kids nowadays you know look forward to it that much I really don't know uh, I don't know any of the children down there now but I've gone a few times since I've been an adult and uh, it's not quite the same but it's it's good and it's a uh, it's an all day thing and they uh, they keep some of the traditions and they came up with some new ones and, and uh, it was a big deal. Did you, you talk about uh, you know like getting a dress? Was there a lot of uh, did you did those things get bought or were they oh, no, we getting made? made? Okay. Uh, and mother was a four H leader and we all joined the four H by the time I think you had to be nine to, you know, so naturally the first thing I took was sewing and uh, we learned to so and then in high school we took the home economics. So no, there weren't too many store bought clothes. Right. When you went to high school, did you do the FHA? Is that one oh, of those? Yes. Okay. Oh yes. Was your school was it like a bigger school or was this like a smaller, like a one room school or what kind of school was this? The, oh no, it was there were a lot those people were pretty prolific. There was a lot of people down there. Okay. So and there were uh there were uh probably ten or twelve, maybe fifteen kids in my first and second grade all you know, when we were small. Then that we went there for eight years, 
and then we went to high school at Campbell. And I graduated in 63, and there were 63 kids in my class. So it was a pretty good-sized school. It was, it was a consolidated school. It drew from all the different areas. Okay. And Campbell so the grades was. were broken up. You didn't like yeah. share oh, grades no. like a lot no. of rules. We had first and second thing. grade together, third and fourth grades together, like okay. that, two grades together. But uh, and like was I said, their tuition. You know, I don't really know if my parents had to pay a tuition or not. I think just their Sunday donation uh-huh. probably took care of it. I don't. I don't remember that there was a tuition. Now there may, have, like I said, I was kind of a carefree kid. I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to what you know, anything cost. Or... I'd kind of be interested in hearing about the stories of the nuns teaching. They, you know, do you hear a lot of, of negative things about nuns? You know, sister was so mean. That, you know, they were, they wrapped our knuckles. Yeah. Well, you know, to be real honest, I don't think nuns cared for boys as much as they did girls. Mm-hmm. Girls are easier to teach. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't learn the same and, and they expected them to learn the same and they can't. And I love school. Uh, I love the, the nuns. They were good to me. Matter of fact, I was going to be a nun, but one of the nuns taught me out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? But, uh, no, uh, the nuns were good. They taught us, and like I said, that was our little touch of culture. They taught us a little bit of the finer things of life than what we would have learned if just out there in the boonies without them. Mm-hmm. And I can give, I, and you know, I, like I said, I read at church, read the, the uh, God, not the gospel, but the, the epistle. And readings. Read the readings at church. And I have been complimented. Because I do a good job. And I said, all the credit goes to the Ursula nuns. They taught us how to read aloud. And so many people don't know how to read aloud. But they, I, I, can't, I can't say anything bad about them. I really can't. I, I, I really admired them. Did you have any favorite topics in school? Reading. Reading. Absolutely. Okay. Reading and writing. Uniforms? No. No? No. We were lucky to have anything decent, you know. Mother, we got a lot of our clothes out of poor box. But we didn't think anything of it. But um, like I said, mother was a 4-H leader. We had that was another social thing, and we always would go all the way down to Kennett, which was oh, I don't know, 35 miles maybe for the once a year, uh, when all the all the uh, 4-H clubs from all the whole area would come and they'd have uh, a big award night, you know. And I got the highest honor when I was 18, and I got a hundred dollar savings bond. Oh, was I rich? But I had to spend it to pay for a baby. We got married. I got married, and then I had two babies right in a row, and mm. we were broke, and so I just cashed it in. It was worth $83. So we laughed that our second child was, we got a bargain for $83. But, anyway. but I haven't mentioned cotton, picking cotton. I was thinking about that. Oh, my goodness. We grew up in the cotton patch. And I did a book recently. Uh, my granddaughter started asking about uh, what was, you know, when they started realizing that I had not always been an old woman, they started asking what it was like when I was a child. And so I was telling them how our fingers bled when we picked cotton. And one little girl said, but Grandma, how could cotton be hard? And so that came, became a metaphor for our life in the cotton patch. And uh, I sold it. Uh, you know, I wrote the book, How Could Cotton Be Hard? And I sold a few, but it's fun. But it was. We chopped cotton as soon as we, oh, as soon as we, uh, uh, Put down our pencils in the spring. We picked up our cotton hoe, and we chopped cotton all summer long. And then we went back to school for about a month or six weeks, and then we had cotton. Vacation. Well, it wasn't exactly a vacation, but we didn't go to school for six, seven weeks, and we picked cotton. Then by the time we you know, got back to school, we had uh, forgotten what we learned earlier, but we started all over again. And we picked, uh, we got three cents a pound, and... Uh, so if you put pretty hard all day, you could make 
you know, three, four, five, six dollars a day. And this is all, every all basically all the kids in the family were doing this. Yes, and every all of our neighbors, everybody, the yeah, whole, just the whole everybody, community. you know, and you know that's uh, it was it was the thing. Three cents a pound. Three cents. And you could make. Well, if you got a hundred pounds, you'd have three dollars. Yeah, but have you ever heard the expression, "Boy, now we're in tall cotton"? You ever heard that expression? Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. probably not. Well, it means that cotton can be that short, or it can be that high. Depends on the, you know fertility of the soil and whatever. Well, if you're a tall cotton, it's a whole lot easier to pick because you're not doing the bending, you know, the back-breaking bending. You're more standing up, and usually if it's a larger, taller stock of cotton, it has a lot more cotton on it, so you get more. It's much easier. So, uh, But usually, you know, we I got a lot more than my brothers did because they would rather throw bowls at each other than or at the airplanes. There was a... Malden had a air, uh, training base, Air Force training base, and the planes would come around every day, you know, and some of them were hot dogs. They, you know, they would see us out in the cotton patch and they'd dip real low and everything. And my brother says he hit a plane with a cotton bowl, I don't, you know, a green bowl. I don't know if he did or not. He told everybody he did. But uh, that was a really a fun, you know, we didn't see airplanes back in the 50s. And that was kind of exciting. And then at 5 o'clock, we always knew what time it was because at 5 o'clock we'd still be picking cotton. And the, all the planes would make a big uh, line up a circle and then they'd go back in and land and we'd say okay it's five o'clock oh good not too much longer to chop or to pick chop or pick either one um like going to school um and just getting around were there lots of cars in the community or did you um... everybody had a car uh i remember my daddy had always a junk car and i can really remember because i just verified this with my older brother he's two years older than i am uh he's the last one left we're the only two left out of 13 but he said, I said, now, did I really remember Daddy cranking a car? He said, oh, yeah, you remember. Daddy would crank the car and cuss, crank the car and cuss. And I thought she had to do one with the other. I didn't. <laughs> and I remember he said one time he got a, a good deal on a car. And he said, but the thing will probably blow up. And I was so scared. I would always ride with my hand on the door thinking, maybe I'll jump free before it blows up. <laughs> I didn't understand anything about motors, you know. But anyway, um, yes, everybody usually had at least one vehicle, um, but we did not have a truck. So we would put our cotton in a wagon, and when you get about 1,400, 1,500 pounds, that made a bale. And then you would have to get it to the, well, sometimes Daddy would drive the tractor in, but usually he would borrow a truck from a neighbor. And then we'd have to get all, get all the wagon and put it back into the there, you know, transfer it again. But then that would make about 500 pounds of ginned cotton, and that's how they did it. But, uh, yeah, was, but we we liked picking cotton because we got our money. Right. See, chopping cotton, we never did get paid, but we always got paid for the, and we had to put enough back for our school lunches and any new clothes we wanted for school. But then the rest was our mad money, so we would always have a few dollars for mad money. That was wonderful. Though. Like, what was your favorite store? Did you like a dime store or something that you would go and, Woolworth. and get Woolworths. There was a Woolworth in Popper Bluff, which yeah. was about 30 miles away. And every year on December the 8th, it was a holy day. We didn't have school. We went to Mass, just like we did on Sunday. Then we had the whole day. And we would go to Popper Bluff, and we would shop. Or do our Christmas shop. And I've even done it as an adult a few times just for old time's sake. But my we'd separate. Daddy and the boys would go one way and Mother and I would go to the other. And Mother and I would hit Woolworths. And I, I got that story published in a, a magazine and then they made it into a, a book, uh, you know, a compilation. Um, but Woolworths, it had everything in the world. I mean, I don't even know if there is a Woolworth anymore. I think it was taken over by Kmart. 
Was but they had a lunch counter there too. Oh yes, and that was why we got our once a year meal out. Oh. You never. I mean, you didn't eat at a restaurant, but we had, and everybody would pour over the menu. What were they going to get? I knew exactly what I was going to get. BLT on toast to get bacon. We had bacon, but it was country bacon. Lettuce and tomato in December? You know, that was just unheard of. And so I, every year, BLT. I could, oh, it was wonderful. You were growing cotton, and everybody, it sounds like everybody kind of had their own cotton that they would grow and sell. We had a, we had an, uh, an allotment. Okay. Depending on how many acres you had, that's how many acres of cotton you could grow. Our allotment was 15 acres, and so we chopped 15 acres. Well, that don't sound like very much, but we had to chop it about three times. So that's 45 acres of cotton that we had to chop in the summer. And then, you know, I don't know how they cho- how they figured that out, but okay. yes. What about food? Did you also have like a separate home garden that you did or? Hundreds and hundreds of quarts of vegetables that mother put up. Plus, uh, she always went to the woods and picked blackberries. And uh, I remember one year, my brother, older brother, was telling me that mother canned 365 quarts of blackberries one year she said because now we have dessert for once every day of the year that's how he remembered it you know right i don't know how she did it she was a powerhouse and she and, was just a little bitty woman and did the kids i imagine helped out with a lot of that the gardening yes but we were usually chopping cotton okay so that's we what were, i was wondering because you were talking about that yeah and i didn't yeah. know we if we had any time off we chopped cotton i mean we helped in the gardens but we didn't pick blackberries too much when we were kids there were so many snakes and things like that. She'd take her trusty dog and mm. and she'd put lard and sulfur and she would smear that ankles, the rest of anything, and she said that would keep the chiggers off. I don't know if she knew that, but she did. That worked. Well, I've heard of sulfur. Uh-huh. Did you did they your dad keep did you keep livestock and that sort of thing? Oh yeah, too? we always had a few cows and hogs. Um, horses. See, I can actually remember. We were, I hate to say this, but we were about 40 years behind the times back then. We really were. I mean, we were pretty back there. Um, but I can remember my daddy farming with a team of horses. And we were quite uptown when he finally got a tractor. Um, what about um, things like air conditioning? And how did you stay cool? And how did you... We didn't. You didn't have it. <laughs> so, okay. So, we didn't even have an electric fan. No, okay. we didn't. We just, we just, and I, I was the designated fan over like we had a meal and mother had food on and we had company or whatever, stand there with the newspaper, waving it back and forth, you know, to keep the flies off. Uh, no, we didn't have anything like that. Did you have a creek or anything like that? No. no. And that was, I think, why my brother said that his life ended because they were right there by the river to go fishing and all that, but there was no water anywhere except the flood time. Yeah. Now, the flooding got better after, uh, the Wapapella Dam, that helped some. Except in the spring, sometimes they would let the water out to level it off for the fishermen. They liked the fishermen more than the farmers. Uh, and then the Mingo, Mingo Wildlife Refuge was also being drained a lot, and that made the flooding even worse down there. And then in the 60s, I want to say, 60s or 70s, they took out... 17 miles of the St. Francis River and straightened so that the water could go on through faster. Because the St. Francis is a real winding river. Mm-hmm. And water and debris would get stuck and then it would flood. And so they took out all this area and that made it, the flooding is a thing of the past basically now. But it was it was major. When they did the Wapapello Dam, was that when Greenville was flooded? I think so. They flooded a whole town. Yeah. And then they, did, I guess they relocated it. 
to a new one, or did they just forget about Greenville? No, Greenville's still there. Yeah, they they had to relocate it okay. because they're still because in Greenville. under that is like the city hall and everything. The... But yeah, flooding was a real. Uh, there was there was a newspaper article that I found when I was researching, and it was a uh, hundred thousand acres in Dunklin County were underwater. If you can imagine that. Back to the beginning of your story. You said that you were enticed, your fam- families were enticed to go down there, but it was a swamp. And did they not just look at it first, or did they buy it sight unseen? Because why would they have bought that? Well, that's a real good question, and I don't know the answer. Uh, Archbishop Glennon, who also who later on became Cardinal Glennon, mm-hmm. he was the Archbishop of St. Louis, and he's the one who bought this 1400 or 14,000 acres. And then he, like I said, he had the ad man to say, you know, to tell, I guess they put it maybe in magazines or whatever, church bulletins, I don't know. Their idea, their reasoning was that there were a lot of immigrants. In St. Louis, there were German immigrants. In Chicago, there were a lot of Dutch immigrants. Their theory was that the children would be healthier if they lived out in the country where they would get fresh air rather than in the crowded cities, which I guess they thought they were crowded at that time. And, you know, so that's, that was their reasoning. They thought that uh, the children would be healthier and happier or whatever. And I guess there were some good places. I don't know, but it was, it was pretty swampy. It was pretty bad. But But the enticement of land. Men want to own land. Every man, I I mean, every man I've ever known has wanted to own a piece of land. And I think that was, the enticement and one of the, there's several different reasons as to why Glennonville thrived well as best as you could thrive in a little hip town but and Wilhelmina did not and there are several theories I take the theory that partially uh, the people in Glennonville were German I don't know if you ever heard the expression a hard-headed German mm. uh, and they were all related they worked together and to this day they are that way they they hang together really close the people in from Dutch, the Dutch people from Holland were more skilled craftsmen. They were plumbers. They were painters. They were people like that, and they weren't quite as shall I say hardy, and they just couldn't quite uh, handle the the severity of it. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's a theory. And the, uh, there's also a theory that the Glenville priest Father Peters was a better leader, but Father Tesler was a great leader also. He was he was a good leader. He they were the priests were not only Christian uh leaders, but they were social, you know, leaders. Uh during the uh, the flu epidemic, the Spanish flu or whatever they call it in the early what late teens, Father Peters and Father Tesler both. They were the doctor basically, wow. you know. And uh, Father Peters, they said he didn't didn't lose a, uh, one patient at all through the whole thing. And then and one old guy said, "Oh, I know how he did it." He said he just gave him a, t- a shot, of, told him to take a shot of whiskey and sweat it out. And he said, "Guess it worked." <laughs> but my parents weren't there yet. They, like I said, they came in twenty five. Mm. And um, how did you end up coming to this area? When when you mean to to the okay? Yeah. Um, my husband followed construction mm-hmm. a lot, and we moved. I think this is our 23rd move. We moved to a lot of different places, and mostly we lived in Festus. We lived there for 17, 18 years, something like that. But then there again, he wanted to own land. We had 40 acres up there, but he wanted to raise cattle, and we didn't have enough. If we'd have had enough, we'd have had to clear the land, you know, and we liked the woods, so there just wasn't enough room. 
So he said, you know, I want to find a bigger place so I can raise cattle. And uh, so we got online and started looking at places, you know, just put a dot where we lived and went around and so, you know, mm-hmm. how far out we could go and what we could afford. And we found our place in Oberlin, Marquand, and we mm-hmm. bought 120 or 130 acres mm-hmm. and uh, a little head, herd of cattle. And we raised cattle for about nine or ten years, and now we're retired. He retired from construction. He worked in St. Louis construction for years. So that's how we didn't know anybody here or anything. After 23 or so years, I mean moves, in 55, well, uh, we've been down here 15 years, so 40 years, I ended up about an hour, hour and a half from where I grew up, mm. which is a little weird, but um, it has worked out real well. This mm-hmm. is good. This is a good area. People are good, are good here. But, um, and since you've been here, do you find, um, so you've been here about 15 years? 15 years. Um, and you're down towards Marquand? Mm-hmm. Um, do you um, are you involved in any way? Are you um, like with the church or with any of the? Do you come up for like a Zelia festival or do you you know what what uh, is it about the community that you today? You know? Well, we go to church here in, in Fredericktown, okay. and uh, I'm active in the church, and um, we used to go to their whatever you know the fair and whatever you know. Just uh, most of the people say, "Oh, you live in Marquand? Do you know so and so?" Well, no, we don't because mm-hmm. we don't ever. There's not you know our church is not there. Our church is here mm-hmm. and. And uh, there's more going all over. Yeah. Okay. But we still go back to Festus for our doctor and dentist. You know, that's okay. we haven't really gotten used to that yet. Mm. As as we get older and not so willing to drive that far, maybe we will get local. I don't know. And do you often, do you ever go down back down to where you grew up and visit? I or? do. I visit relatives. I, unfortunately, we go down there a lot for funerals. Ah. Um, there's a lot of, uh, now it's gotten to our peer group uh and we go down to the glenville picnic once in a while mm-hmm. and uh, yeah you didn't really mention cousins or anything you have any extended family down in that area or i have nieces and nephews okay. my oldest sister lived there okay. the one that i have quoted she lived there and so her two or three of her children still live there um and we see them but most of our actual my my cousins were from kentucky they were all from kentucky and jim's people are in the uh crystal city say uh festus oh. area so uh how did you meet him? At church. Okay. Was he visiting? No, from he that was, area. He, no, he was. He, they had moved to that area. Oh, oh okay. from Cheyenne, Wyoming. And, uh, it's really strange how people get together. Of course, now I am a writer. I've been a writer now since many, many years. And was that? Did you ever work work employment wise writing? Yeah, or? at the newspaper. I was oh. the uh, food editor for a while, oh. and then I did a column for five years, just a freelance column for five years. Which newspaper? Of the. Uh, Journals in the Festus, okay. journals in the Democrat News or the News Democrat, whatever opposite of what this one is here. <laughs> Daily uh, Journal, the opposite yeah, of the Frederick. So, okay. so um, I, and I've written for quite a few different magazines and okay. put out a few books and stuff. But I'm not a, I can't really call myself a writer, but I do like to write. And I've compiled uh, family history books from where my sisters took off. Then I went up from the time my husband and I got married up until the present with our boys. Because I think I think our children and grandchildren need to know what life was like. Mm-hmm.